Good afternoon. Welcome to today's Exit Insights podcast. On today's episode, I've got Christine Nicholson with me. Now, Christine's got an amazing background. It seems that every time I have a conversation with her, I learn something new about a a job that she's been involved with in the past or or some sort of amazing story uh, about her history. There's always something new, so uh, I'm really excited to see what's going to unfold in today's conversation. So, Christine, welcome, and why don't we just start by giving us a bit of a whistle-stop tour of your background um, and how you've used that and that set you up to be working with business owners today and how you help them get ready for exit and get the most out of their life's work. Yeah, thanks, Daryl. I've probably got the most um, kind of unplanned route uh, through my career. So I I left school at, at 16 went to work for a bank, then I went into the military and and actually thought I would be in the military for life. And uh, when I did leave the military, uh, I I was in the REMS. When I left the the REMS, I decided I really needed a professional qualification and what would give me the most solid kind of business background. So I qualified as an accountant and immediately went to work for a family-owned company that was very, very entrepreneurial. And... Uh, it was the first time I'd ever really come across the word entrepreneur and it was the first time I'd really worked directly with business owners who had founded the company. That was an amazing apprenticeship and over five year period uh, we acquired businesses, we disposed of businesses and, and I really got into all of that. What, what really happens when uh, a business gets sold and also about acquiring uh, businesses to make your existing business a whole lot better. And when I left that, when they actually sold the whole group, I started my first, what I call my first grown-up business. All the other businesses that I'd been involved with myself in terms of starting up had had effectively been what you might call a side hustle. Um, But this was the first business where I was all in. And the lessons of the previous five years really came to to bear um, during the time that I was running my first business. And... I love running businesses and I love working with founders. Uh, so that was the start of this journey of, of doing exactly that. So you combine both things, working with business and being a founder yourself. Absolutely. And um, even though I had all this experience of, of um, not just running businesses, but acquiring businesses and building businesses from scratch, uh, it's not until you're out there on your own that it's a bit like taking away the safety net when it's someone else's money and it's somebody else's business um then you've kind of got that safety net because you because you might feel emotionally all in as an employee but you're not taking the risks it's not your capital that's on the line ultimately there's always something you can walk away from when it's your own thing the difference in the emotional attachment is it's off the scale, uh, certainly for me. And I often meet business owners who say, oh, nobody cares about my business like I do. Is it, yeah, right up until you meet me, because when I'm in, I'm a definitely, I'm all in. And my first business, my first grown-up business was the thing that really taught me about kind of holding a bit back. Um, because when you're all in with your business, you're so attached to it. Um, you don't necessarily think quite as clearly as you, with hindsight, would have done. There are definitely things I would do differently. 
I think you've really nailed something there, and that's the the life as the entrepreneur or the business owner. You know, we, we talk about their business being like their baby, and and you know, it really that all in attachment, that energy, that involvement, really does, I guess, influence the way you make decisions about the business, and it perhaps holds you back uh, compared to when you're an employee and it's other people's money. You you're actually uh, not attached to the finances, so you're able to make clearer decisions and perhaps take slightly different risks. Um, so yeah, just something I've seen over the years, you know, coaching and working with businesses to, to help them grow. And it's why they've always seen the benefit of having someone from the outside, someone who's not attached to help them hold them to account and drive them to actually pin down some of the decisions, which they'd be able to make easily if they weren't the owner. So yeah. 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 Okay. So whistle stop tour, you've done everything. You've, you've had a lot of experience in, in acquiring businesses and exiting businesses, you know, for other people and for yourself. So what are some of the common themes you've seen when you know you see a business owner get to that point where they go look it's time i need to start thinking about exit it might be six months time it might be six years time but i'm starting to think about it what are the common themes that you see occurring and the things they miss and what have you so i think the most important one and the biggest one really and you've just alluded to it is time not many business owners actually consider the amount of time that it actually takes to sell a business, if indeed it's saleable at all. So, so there's the time thing, how long does it take? And then there's the second thing is, look, I might love my business. I might think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but actually how attractive is it to others? And actually having that external view of what is my business really worth to someone else? And, and, and one of the important questions I often ask people then is, well, if you were on the outside, how much would you pay for this? And when you start to think of it in that, that detached um, way, it does give you a very different view. So the, the time and the realistic value. And then actually being blind. So big, one big mistake is actually being blind to some of the really obvious uh, inherent weaknesses in your business, such as complete reliance on you. You know, if you're not there, business doesn't go anywhere um, and, and how quickly that might crumble. Um, uh, things like actually creating that dependence by employing really smart people and then, excuse my language, pissing them off by not allowing them to get on and doing their job. So, um, uh, and, and actually that, that not letting people do what you've hired them to do is probably one of the biggest um, mistakes that I that I commonly see. So my top three would be time, realistic value, and then hiring great people and not letting them be great. Yeah, and and you touched on something right at the very beginning there. You made the comment almost in passing that if indeed your business is sold, so does that suggest that you know a number of businesses don't get sold? Eight percent typically of businesses that uh, uh, go to market literally do not get sold. And, um, and, it, and it's, it's sad because it's not that there's no value in the businesses. It's just that they're not being either marketed in the right way or they're not being prepared in the right way 
um, and and typically they've gone to the wrong broker or they've gone to someone who said it's a bit like a state agency um, you know actually selling your house to the right person for the right price is often a matter of timing so it can be timing in the market it can be timing in just specifically for the right buyer um, and it can be timing in terms of your readiness to let it go so what you're alluding to there or suggesting is perhaps there's two elements and i think you may have even said this earlier that there's a getting the owner and the owner's ready and and that's a you're just you're mentally ready for the transition and the big change that they're about to go through in their life um and the other one is is actually having the business ready and and perhaps that means the business being able to cope without the owner so uh you so that the business is also able to cope and go through the transition absolutely there's that whole saying of the more you work in your business the less it's worth mm. and i think it's something that get it's very easy to trip off the tongue but you actually think about what that means and and it means that if you're working in your business where you're effectively an employee and you're also the one that everything pivots around in terms of decision making then your business is is worth nothing if you're outside of it so the minute you you you're such an anchor for the value of the business that the minute you leave the business is hamstrung because nobody can actually make a decision no no and nobody steps up to make a decision so that they can't move the business um the business forward and um so there's that there's that element of dependency that um really diminishes the value of businesses and and actually it, it diminishes the business owner themselves because you know, here's the business owner and here's the business and the two are clamped together in terms of identity. Like the business owner can't imagine themselves without the, the business de depending on them. It's a key part of their identity. And equally, the business can't survive without the business owner because the business owner has created the dependency. Mm. So you often hear um, the business owners saying, oh, you know, I can't even take a holiday because... If I step away from it, 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 it all starts to go to pot. Well, I'm, I'm really sorry about this to any business owner that's, that's created this. It's all your fault. And there's only one person who can do anything about it. And it's you as the business owner. And it's, it's here. It's the seven inches here that um, need to, uh, is where the work needs to, to diminish the dependency. Yeah, I've often referred to that as being a victim of your own success um, as a nice way to frame it up for business owners to help them recognise the pros and cons of the situation where they're at. And I remember one of my clients once shared with me, he said, look, Daryl, I, you know, I love it that the business needs me. You know, I, I feel valued and I feel part of it when, when you know, anyone needs to come to me to ask questions and, and get stuck. I feel valued. And he said, but I get I'm the anchor to the business. I'm the one that's holding back the growth because you know, I've taken it as far as I can um, with me being that linchpin, I think, was the, the language you used, Christine. It's a bit like having your house on fire and you being the only firefighter. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know it's, it, it's, if, if there's a whole load of firefighters, then actually it takes the pressure off. It doesn't matter how big the fire is then, but actually the more firefighters there are, the less likely there is to be a fire. Yeah, true. So, so let's keep moving forward and, and let's, let's, uh, 
we've got a business now where the business owners are of the right mindset. They've structured the business where the business can run without them. They don't have operational roles in the business. They've got, you know, training and growth, you know, for, for the employees and, and everyone's doing the right things and, and you know, they're all aligned on the same page. So from that operational perspective, they've got the business, you know, where it doesn't need them. So what are some of the other things that, that you know, hold the process back when it, when it comes to, to that exit process? Um, you, know, is, you know, I guess when the due diligence starts. Well, I think there's, there's several steps, really. The first is actually getting mentally prepared for the fact that at, one, at some point or other, your business is going to work without you or not work without you, depending on where you sit. Then, then there's the actual, so, so there's creating a lack of dependency on you. Then there's preparing the whole business actually for sales so that it's the most attractive. I'll probably come and talk on that in a minute. Then you hit the sale process. So, so let's assume that you've gone to the market, you've found a buyer. Uh, who's really enthusiastic and the first thing they do is they put in an offer which is commonly called heads of terms so um, uh, I, I thought rather than play with a concept let's talk about some numbers so let's say that you get a nice juicy offer on the table and it's 10 million pounds and uh, you're actually licking your lips and rubbing your hands together thinking yes and um, sadly heads of terms is the that's the, the early part of the game, right? And this is where the rubber really hits the road and the pain really starts. So um, the next thing is that you now have to open your books and you've probably signed an NDA. Well, you will have signed an NDA and we go into the due diligence process. Your buyer is now going to see your business absolutely warts and all. Now, it doesn't have to be perfect during due diligence, but it's a bit like going a lawyer going into the courtroom, never ask a question that you don't already know the answer to. And this is one of the big challenges with due diligence is the business owner actually doesn't know what the due diligence process is. They're likely to only ever go through it once. And the, the, the buyer asks a whole raft of questions. So there's the first layer of questions. Now that will then open a few Pandora's boxes, which will lead to a, never, a next layer of questions and a next layer of questions, and a next layer of questions. And it does get to the point in that process where I hear business owners going, how many more questions are they going to ask? And what the hell do they want to know that for? And, and, and because they haven't been prepared, because they don't know what's going to happen, they then start to get really frustrated with that. And, and they can kind of really start to get tired of the whole process. And that's only half of it, because the other half is you're now so focused on the due diligence of your business you've taken your eye off running it and if you're one of the linchpins that's really kind of key decision maker you are now pulled in two very distinct directions i'm trying to sell my business but also i need to keep running it so that it still maintains that value and of course the more questions that are asked by through the due diligence and the answers that come back depending on whether the potential buyer or investor likes the answers that either um, enhances, maintains, or diminishes the level of confidence that the buyer has in the attractiveness of the business. And quite often, and I would say more often than not, what happens in the due diligence process is the buyer discovers things that actually the business owner is kind of discovering them at the same time by answering the questions and it diminishes their confidence. So then they start thinking, 
yeah, well, I thought this business was worth 10 mil, but now I can see I'm going to have to do X, Y, Z. I'm maybe going to have to put new systems in place. I'm going to get, I've got to go and hire a new chief exec or um, I've got to employ some salespeople. There's all this baggage and there's all these problems. And it, it's a bit like um, when you buy a house and you think, wow, it's lovely. And it's had like a paint, but then you have the survey done and you discover that it's got dry rot, that it's got rising damp and it's got woodworm. And it's exactly the same, the same thing with the due diligence. They find all these things out. And don't get me wrong, you don't need your business to be perfect to, to attract a buyer. But you do need to understand where the inherent weaknesses are and which kind of buyers are going to like or dislike certain risk factors. And you just need to be ahead of the game in terms of showing how you can mitigate those risk factors if you haven't already addressed them. Most businesses don't address them because they don't even know that they're there. Right. And I guess by virtue of the conversation is that's what you've done in the past. You've, you know what is in the due diligence process. You know what the buyer is going to be looking for. So you've prepared the business owners in what questions are going to be asked get the information ready ahead of time. So when they ask it, you've got the answers, you've got the answers straight there. That, now that's got to give them confidence, right? If you give them the information straight away uh, and speed the process up? I wouldn't necessarily say it speeds the process up, but it stops the process slowing down. So there's a subtle difference. Um, but, it, it, but what it does do is it means that you as the business owner, if you're pre-prepared, you go into that process and you're not feeling quite so distracted by it because you've, you've anticipated the, the primary questions that are going to be asked. You already know the answers. And if there is something that you know is going to come up as a, as a flag, a red flag to a buyer, you've already got the, mitigating, uh, the mitigations in place. Now, I haven't been able to address this, but I know that you can address it. Therefore, this is not diminishing the value of the business. It allows you to maintain confidence that you're selling the business for the right value. And also, the next step after the due diligence is the sale and purchase agreement, often just called the SPA. And during the SPA, when you're forming the SPA, which is a fairly extensive document, you're highlighting everything that's going to be sold and the terms on which it is sold. Now, part of this agreement includes something called warranties and indemnities. Now, these are all of the factors that the buyer is going to say, well, I really like your business and you've been really, you know, you've been open during the due diligence process and I've highlighted these issues that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about but I'm still going to maintain this offer price. But if one of these issues actually becomes a cost issue, so it's something that's going to diminish the value, I am going to put that in the warranties and indemnities section such that if at some point when I'm running the business, I find out that this isn't something that can be easily um, addressed, then I am going to make sure that you pay me back some of the 10 million because I'm valuing the, the business on, on the basis that all of these things are addressable without significant cost. 
And those, those, um, the, the value for the warranties and indemnities, for example, will be set between um, uh, the, the types of impact, value impact. So in a 10 million um, uh, sale price, you might have warranties and indemnities around 250 to half a million. So if, if, if all of these risk factors come into play, because I think, I think they're risk factors, if all these risk factors come into play and they affect the trading going forward, then for these set of circumstances to happen, I am going to ask for some money back or I'm going to hold that money back for a period of time and then after this period of time, these things didn't happen, therefore I'm going to happily pay you the rest of the money. Okay. And this is some of the parts of the deal that business owners aren't really prepared for. Yeah. Okay. So there's some of the things that can make the process come unstuck or potentially slow it down or just some of the concerns that business owners may not have been talking, talking about. Let's flip it around now and look on the plus side. What are some of the quickest ways business owners can add value to their business and, uh, and influence the, the, the valuation in a positive way? Um, oh, God, there are, there are so many, just thinking of the most, the most common ones. Um, well, the most common one really would be actually com um, completely removing themselves from the essential day-to-day -day of the business. It's really, really key. And, and of course, that goes along with letting your team do the job that they're supposed to do. So you kind of can't have one without the other and still maintain the value of the business or increase the value of the business. But you getting out of the business, by far the quickest way to increase the value of that business to another, to another buyer. Um, knowing the numbers, uh, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a really basic thing. And yet so many people don't do it. Um, and, and this during the sale process is really a matter of confidence. If you can put numbers together historically and have your current activity well, well mapped out in terms of the, the numbers. And I'm not just talking about financials now. I'm really talking about all of the key levers in your business, the things that actually, if you move them one or two degrees, have a significant impact. And, and understanding how that works and being able to present it. And not just you as the business owner being able to present it, but everyone else in the business knowing what their number is, knowing how they impact the, the business and what they need to do to increase the, to increase the profitability of the business. That, that in itself is, again, it's really quick and easy. Uh, I, okay, I'll rephrase that. It's really quick and quite simple but not necessarily easy. And, and I think that's the thing with most of these things is they are simple, but not necessarily easy, which is why business owners don't do them mm. because there is a hard thing that there are plenty of hard things to do. Um, and, and some of that is engagement and letting go of course, is, is, is one of the things. Yeah. So the, my top two would be get out of the way, let your team get in, the roles that they should be doing and the second thing is know the numbers and, and be able to articulate them because if you can articulate them and other people in your business can articulate them to an investor then it helps them understand the business that they're buying much much easily and increases the confidence that they have you 
You mentioned something really quite interesting there that, that uh, you don't hear about too often, and that is every person has a number. Can yes. you Can you give us a little bit more about that? Because that's not necessarily a financial number, is it? That uh, I'm guessing just the way you were talking about it. No, no. I, I, if, if you talk to any of the people that I've worked with in the last 10 years, the one thing that they will... Um, they'll say um, that the thing that I bang on the most about is, is this thing about the individual, the team and the company. And if you think about the individual as being the circle in the middle of a circle, in the middle of a circle, if you as the individual do something that negatively impacts the business, but it only has a 15% impact on you. If you think about that angle coming out from the center, by the time it goes into the team, it has a really, it can, it can actually take a much bigger section of, of impact from the team. And then by the time the angles come out to the, the wider circle, the company, your tiny little thing can have a massive impact on the company. And uh, so I, I'm always uh, all about bringing everybody to understand the impact of their behavior, the good, the bad, and the ugly, on not just themselves on their team and then on, on the company. And the best way for them to engage is to have something that they're responsible for. Now, um, it, again, it doesn't have to be financial because I, I know that many, many business owners really kind of start getting the shakes if they think about sharing financial information with everybody. But most people know that uh, or understand that if they have to do something if they have to do 10 things a day, then they can tick off the 10 things. You know, I know if I do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Um, and, and so therefore, if, if their thing is, I have to do this thing, this thing 10 times today to create this impact for the next person on, 10 things is something that they can keep an eye on. If they don't know that, then they might sit there and do, oh, I'll just do one thing today. Um, and not realizing that not doing the other nine things is having a significant impact on the person that is next for part of the customer journey or part of the process. And, you know, me saying, oh, don't, don't, I don't feel like it today, so I'm not really going to do all of the things that I need to do, can actually have an impact further down the line. Now, a classic example of this, and then go back to the sale process again, if you're not prepared as the business owner for the due diligence process and for the actually the sale process as a whole, you know, the finding a buyer, the getting to heads of terms, the going through the due diligence process, then the uh, negotiation of the sale and purchase agreement, and then the signing of the SPA, then you're going to be distracted. So you're now going to spend more time during that period of time when it's so much more valuable for you to maintain your current com company performance and you're now distracted so if your sales cycle is between four and eight months then four to eight months after this due diligence process you're going to see a massive sudden dip in your revenue and I've seen this over and over again and I've seen it more recently with a, a client that exited last year and the chief exec totally focused on due diligence. It was a protracted due diligence process. And then all of a sudden, four months, literally four months after the, ex, uh, the exit date, the transaction date, 
massive dip in, in revenue and it's only just coming back up. So the distraction of the due diligence process can have a significant effect on your business. And the more distracted you are during the due diligence, the more protracted the due diligence process, the less likely you are to sell. Some amazing insights there that uh, will give our listeners some time to uh, digest. So Christine, I think you've, you've, you've mapped out uh, in, in a high level of detail um, uh, the, the exit process and, and some gotchas along the way. So our listeners have got a lot of information to digest. I'm wondering if you can just sort of wrap it up for us and, and highlight um, you know, what are the, the main gotchas that you see that you know, when you work with a business or you start working with a business that, that catch business owners out time and time again? Uh, are there one or two key gotchas and uh, we'll use that as a wrap up for today? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, let's, let's take my top three. Three, okay. We'll give you an extra one. <laughs> well, they're, they're two, but, but they're kind of related. Um, so the first thing is it's mindset. You might be thinking about what life is like without your business next. Um, it, it is about preparing the business to not have you in it regardless. You, you don't have to sell. Your business will be worth more if you just get out of the way. So the, the first thing really is, is, is around that. Um, and of course, the second one. So let's call that 1A and then 1B, which allows me to get my three in, which is bringing your team up. Um, because even if you choose not to sell, actually bringing your team up, your business is going to be worth more. They're going to be happier. You're going to get more dividends out of it, et cetera. You know, it just makes it a whole lot better um, place to be. Uh, so there's the, there's the kind of mindset um, thing around it. Um, and then the second thing is figure out what your business is worth right now. Just go, get a valuation um, because you might be making plans for your future based on a complete dream of a business value that you have got from it's built up over years. It, it might be the value that you think you've put into the business. But you need to get a realistic view of how an investor is going to look at your business, what, what the business is, is worth right now and where the opportunity is and what are the things that um, are going to make it worth uh, more so that you can focus whatever time that you've got in preparing your business um, for um so that you can you can put the effort into getting the most bang for your buck um when it comes to the effort that you're you're putting in so it is really just get a get a realistic valuation of your business right now because it will stop you spending possibly years thinking that your business is worth so much more or alternatively so much less than it is really worth. And if you know what your business is worth now, you will, you will actually know what to do in terms of the decision-making process of making it worth more, maybe pushing it for growth or actually saying, you know what, it's worth enough now. I can, I can actually step away. But most business owners have a very skewed idea of how much their business is worth. And it's not really based on science. So get that so realistic get that realistic valuation from a buyer's or an investor's perspective 
just so you know the starting point and you're making informed decisions. Yes, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, there's some amazing insights there, Christine. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your time and knowledge and, uh, and everything you've learned over the last few years with us today. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. It's um, Actually, I know that I hounded you for it, but <laughs> it was <laughs> thank you for tolerating me while you're, while, you're on the, while we're on the podcast. It's been great. Thank you. And really nice questions. That's it for today. See you in the next episode. Bye.